Good morning. Uh, if you're new here, we want you to know that we encourage uh, those who are visiting during this time, we like to follow as much as we can along in the, the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in John 3, as you heard from the gospel this morning. I believe that's on page 887 of the Bibles that are uh, in the, underneath the seat in front of you. Again, that's John chapter 3. We'll be starting with verse 1. John 3, if, if you're not using a Bible, but maybe on a device, that's where we'll be. But first, let me pray. Father, we pray that now you would please come by the power of your spirit and through your word. Would you please speak to us and help us to have a greater sense of what's going on in this passage as we learn about you today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in our second week in a series that we've just started last week that's called Questions of Jesus. We're going to be in John's Gospel for the next number of weeks, running through the beginning of March. And if you were here last week, you might remember that one of the observations we made was that in most of the Gospels, that most of the Gospels are conversations that Jesus had with a really diverse group of people around him. And we also said that every week we're going to look at one particular conversation and we're going to try to focus on a specific question that Jesus might have asked someone in that passage every week. So for example, last week we looked at John chapter 1 and we saw this interaction that Jesus has with two of the disciples and, and this question that he raised of what are you seeking? And we remembered that uh, Jesus isn't really in a small talk and he likes to get right to the heart of things and as he does, he, he asks questions that get to the deepest of our desires and our longings. He, he wants to know about us. That's what we saw also with uh, Simon Peter, that the people that come to Jesus, as, as he invites people to learn, as he invites people to explore who he is, people like Simon Peter that come and encounter him, they never walk away the same person. And we, 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 saw, we saw him come up and say, oh, your name's Simon, you're Cephas now. That's your new name, your new person. This week, we're going to look at a question Jesus asked that at the first reading sounds a little bit less personable than last week's, and it may even sound insulting to some of us, and that's essentially, don't you understand? Don't you get it? In just a second, we're going to see Jesus talking to a guy, many of us know the story of Nicodemus, that other people would have called a religious expert, and addressing this age-old question, how is it? that we as human beings can relate to God. And if you want to relate to God, we're going to see Jesus say. If you want to enter into his presence, if you want to participate in the things that Jesus is doing in the world, you're going to have to experience something that's called being born again. But what does that even mean to be born again? You know, I'm very realistic as someone uh, that preaches regularly, that when we use phrases like that, like born again, that brings different things to people's minds uh, immediately. Okay, so, so when I say that, everyone here might be thinking of different things. For example, uh, some of us hear that phrase and we think mainly a kind of one-time event. Maybe uh, there was a prayer that we prayed a long time ago after we heard uh, some sort of an evangelistic message or maybe when we were at a camp. And that is definitely a part of what Jesus is talking about, but that's not all of it. Or uh, maybe you've heard the phrase born again to be used to describe um, 
the difference between someone maybe that was raised in the church and someone that has really begun a relationship with Jesus. If you were here last week, you might have heard me talk about that. The fact that, again, I, I grew up going to church, and yet um, there was a time when I was a young teenager in which I would really say I, I professed faith in him. And some of you might have been sitting there and goes, oh, that's the time when he became born again. And especially in, in 2019, we have to acknowledge that um, there are some places, and this might not be as, quite as much the case in Birmingham, but there are some places in the U.S. where being born again is not a good thing. Okay, and, and that language, it, it really represents people that might be described as narrow-minded or unsophisticated or, or um, maybe even bigoted. For some people, it represents more of a political identity, doesn't it? When you hear that phrase, born-again Christian, than maybe being a follower of Jesus. And again, the problem with these is every one of them, or some of them, I should say, might get us towards the truth of what Jesus, Jesus is trying to say, but none of them gets fully at it. And so how do we know what Jesus is trying to talk about when he uses this language of rebirth? And, and how, how can we address some of the things that we traditionally come to believe about this language that is born again. We're going to look at this idea of rebirth that Jesus talks about in three parts today. First, we're going to see the necessity of rebirth, the fact that it's important, it's absolutely critical. Two, we're going to see the agent of rebirth. Who is it that's doing it? And then finally, the means. Exactly how does this thing that is rebirth happen? Let's, let's look at those three now. So first, let's look at the, ne pardon me, the necessity. Okay, so we're in John chapter 3. If you've got a Bible with you, and if you've read John's gospel, you know that Jesus has already done two things that surprise a lot of people. One, Jesus has come to the rescue in the midst of a party that runs out of alcohol at the wedding of Cana. Okay, and what does he do? He turns that water into wine. And then we've also done something that um, especially surprises the people that think that Jesus was always this really chill dude that was always really nice to people and kind of carrying a lamb and petting it. He, he goes into the temples, or the temple, I should say, I'm sorry, and he, he completely overturns the tables. You know, he complains about people making his father's house a marketplace. And today, we're going to see this interaction that Jesus has with this guy, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus being a, a Jewish leader, and giving a response to Jesus that is so perplexing at one point that Jesus looks at him and says, don't you get it? Don't you understand? So look with me now if you have a Bible in front of you, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Now I know it keeps going, but let's stop there just for a second. Notice... Nicodemus, it says, is, as many of you already know, is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a religious leader. He's a very well-educated person. And yet this person, Nicodemus, is coming to Jesus in secret. He's coming to him at night. And he's not necessarily advertising about the fact that he wants to talk to Jesus, but he, he wants to talk to him in secret. And what's he say? Look at verse 2 if you have it in front of you. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God's with him. So Nicodemus starts this conversation with Jesus 
making a statement about Jesus's identity. But look at the way that Jesus immediately turns the conversation in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes Nicodemus's statement that we see here in this passage, and he immediately turns us into the question that's at the heart of all religions, which is how can any of us have a relationship with divine? What does that look like? Whether it be in the here and now or after we die. And notice that Jesus' answer is conditional. Unless, he says, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So why? Why would there be any restrictions, we might ask, on someone being able to enter into the kingdom? And the answer the Bible gives us is simply because of our sin. But what's that about? Okay, I, I personally love medical dramas on TV, and there's a lot to choose from, aren't there? Okay, so right now, um, we love to watch The Good Doctor at our house. That's just a really, really fun one. But there's also Grey's Anatomy. Um, by the way, is anyone surprised that Grey's Anatomy is still on? I mean, I, we were watching The Good Doctor, and I saw a commercial, and I was like, this is like the 15th season of Grey's Anatomy. I didn't know there was a possibility for that many love triangles in a hospital, but they still go on. And so we watch it. We love the drama. What happens as any of those doctors is preparing to go into surgery? What do, what do we know happens? They scrub in, okay? They do an excessive amount of washing on their hands and their arms, especially as right before they're going into that operating room. They put a mask over their face. They put a cap on their heads. Why? Because we know, uh, and we don't have to watch TV drama to know, it is absolutely important that those rooms remain clean. And unless everyone in that room has cleansed themselves in some way, they can't go in. Nobody can go in. And as you may or may not know, the the Bible talks about us, uh, and particularly the, the presence of God, in the same way. It says that the presence of God is not a place that's necessarily sterile, like an OR room, but it's holy. It's a, it's, It's a place of perfection. And the problem is that we are not perfect. We have our own issues. Again, that's what the Bible simply calls sin. We don't love God the way that we're supposed to. We don't love other people the way that we're supposed to. That's our problem. And so unless we are cleansed, none of us has the right to be in that place in the presence of God. We're we're not fit for the king, and we're not fit for his kingdom. And that takes us to our our second observation this morning, the agent of rebirth. So not only is rebirth absolutely necessary, but now we learn about who causes it, and it's not us. Look at the reaction that Nicodemus has in verse 4, which is is probably, I think it's fair to say, the same reaction that any of us would have if Jesus had said to us and if we had never read this account. Look at what he says. I'm sorry, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus obviously takes Jesus literally. I don't think any of us can blame him for that. But notice what Jesus says back to him, and and he reminds us as he says this, the difference between physical birth and spiritual birth. Look at verse 5. 
Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, this, this work of rebirth is not something that we as human beings can do on our own. This, this has to be a work of the Spirit. This is a work of God himself, Jesus says. So we have to be cleansed. Something has to change in order for us to be able to enter into the presence of God. And yet it's not something that we do. When I was about five years old, I walked out onto a dock that was on a pond by my grandparents' house where we would always go and, and try to catch crabs and row a little boat. And I was a clumsy little boy. And there was a time when I was reaching over the edge of this dock trying to get a, a, a peek at the snapper turtle, the snapping turtle that was down there, and it scared the daylights out of me. But I knew I was safe up on the dock. But there I was, and I, I leaned too far over, and I fell right into the mud. Okay, so I was up to mud uh, I was in the mud up to my waist, and I was freaking out. And I started screaming for my mom, and, and um, my sister and my cousins were there, and they, they pulled me out. I was fine. The turtle didn't get to me, but I was a mess. But what happened? We went back to my grandparents' house where I needed my mom's help to get clean. Now, how did she do that? Uh, <laughs> My mom basically gave me what could, might be called um, the lazy dad bath, which is she held a hose up to me and she just sprayed me down. Now, I, I needed her to do that. Why was that? Because I couldn't take my hands with all this mud all over me and try to squeeze the mud away. Okay, I needed someone to come in from the outside and to help in a way that I couldn't do for myself. I was totally incapable and in the same way, Jesus says this thing that is the new birth is not something that we as human beings do. This is, this is something that God mysteriously does in verse 8. Look at it if you have it in front of you. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of spirit. Hey, did anyone notice the wind this morning? I, I got up about 2 a.m. this morning very conveniently because my dog reminded us that it wanted to go to the bathroom. And so I followed out to the back of the house. I, I let it out the back door, and the wind was overwhelming. Okay, it was, it was um, the whole backyard, it felt like, was going back and forth. It was super loud. I was trying to call her back, but I felt like she couldn't hear me over the sound of the wind. Now, I didn't know where the wind was coming from, and I couldn't control it, but, but I could see it, and I could hear it. And Jesus is saying the same thing about the Spirit and the way that the Spirit works, that we're not the ones who bring about new birth. We're, we're just the recipients of this thing that Jesus is talking about. That's the second observation this morning. He's the agent of our rebirth. It's not us, but it's God, and it's God that is working by the power of His Spirit. Okay, so we've seen the necessity of the new birth and, and then the agent. And finally, the means. You know, Christianity is, I realize, not the only religion that uses the language of rebirth. There's a lot of other religions that talk about the idea of becoming something new in order to have a relationship with God. But one of the things that does set 
set Christianity apart is the means by which it says that we become someone new and the, the way that we are reborn, and that is through faith in the Son of God and Jesus Christ. So did you notice the way that Nicodemus responds to Jesus when Jesus talks about the Spirit? Look at verse 9. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? So Nicodemus is confused, and the answer that Jesus gives to him is the, the question that we're focusing on today in this passage, which is in verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? How do you not get it? You know, you're, you're this expert and I'm going to teach you some things and I, I want to teach you things that are far more deep. If you don't understand these things, how are you going to get what else I want to talk about? And then he goes on to talk about himself in a way that reminds Nicodemus that he is the only way to get into the kingdom. Look at verse 13. No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus obviously talking about himself here. And then most importantly, look at what he says in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so if you're reading John for the first time, and if you might not know your Old Testament as well, remember what Jesus is doing in uh, alluding to this serpent being listed up as he talks about who gets into the kingdom. Some of you might remember, and, and this is something that Nicodemus would have known very well as a Pharisee, that in Numbers 21, there's a story as, as Moses is leading the Israelites out of um, Egypt. He's left them. They're on this journey to the promised land. And at one point, the Israelites are grumbling, and they're grumbling against God, it says, and against Moses. So what does God do? God sends these serpents to them that, that have the, actually the power to kill them as they bite them. And in response, the, the Israelites plead that uh, Moses will pray to God and that God will somehow rescue them. And so that's exactly what happens. Moses prays, and then God says to him, okay, Moses, go and, and make a serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, and when you lift up this pole, as people see it, people will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. Again, a, a story that Nicodemus would have known. And so do you see what Jesus is now telling Nicodemus as he connects this story to himself? A story, again, that's hundreds and hundreds of years old. This is all the story of, of Moses and the serpent about Jesus. This has been foreshadowing Jesus the whole time. Again, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And of course, if you've read John before, you know how John ends, that Jesus is ultimately lifted up. He's lifted up in his death and his resurrection. So on the cross for the sins of the world, he's, he's lifted up, he's resurrected from the tomb. And then again, he's, he's lifted up, he's exalted. He's, he's, uh, he ascends to the Father and is exalted by him. And what is Jesus saying? Anyone that looks at me can experience this kind of healing. Anyone that looks to me, and, and not just um, freedom from death, but ultimately freedom, the forgiveness of sin. So not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. Why? Why did God offer this 
through his son. And, and that takes us to the next verse that's after this, what is basically the most famous verse that any of us have ever heard in the Bible, and that's, of course, John 3.16. If you have it in front of you, look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So according to Jesus, how is it that none of us has to have fear about what happens when we pass? And, and the answer is obvious. It's through faith in himself. And, and the reason that God does this is out of a great love that he has for us as his people. And so if anybody wants to live forever, Jesus says to Nicodemus, we can step back and, and hear him. If anybody wants this, okay, they have to be reborn. This is something that has to happen. It happens by the Spirit of God. And it happens through faith in His Son. Something that was given to us out of love for the world. For everybody. Now as I close this morning, I want to just, uh, address three different groups that might hear a passage like this in a, a couple of different ways. Because as we look at this, I realize that we all come with our own experiences and our own questions and things might strike us differently. So first, there are some of this, us this morning, um, and this may only be one or two of us, but we're coming here this morning, and we actually didn't grow up in a church. We're not from a Christian family. And to be honest, the language of hearing born again or born again Christianity is something that to us ranges anywhere from kind of awkward to really weird. It might even be repugnant to some of us. And I want to encourage you, here's what you need to remember. One, this is really important. When Jesus talks about someone being born again, he is not primarily talking about their lifestyle. I want to be careful as I say this, so let me explain. If you didn't grow up in a Christian household, and if your impression of Christianity has, been, has not been formed by maybe reading the Gospels, but um, been based on your experience that you've had with different people, then you might be under the impression that Christianity is ultimately about our behavior. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. In other words, if I try hard enough, if, if I'm a good enough person, and if, if the good in my life outweighs the bad, then God not only accepts me, but that's the way that I can know I'm going to be with him when I pass. And the problem with this perspective is that it entirely views Christianity through the lens of of an orientation to behavior. Now, when you look at this passage, it, what you see is Je Jesus is describing Christianity in a way that's not just about morality. Or if that was the case, if Nicodemus came to Jesus, someone who is a teacher of the law, someone that is living, we can assume, a righteous life, he wouldn't have anything to say to Nicodemus. But what does he say instead? He says, unless someone's born again, he cannot even enter the kingdom. So unless Nicodemus, in light of all the accolades that you have, and in light of everything, in spite of everything that you've been doing good, unless you believe in me, unless you're born again, you don't have this hope and this expectation of being able to have a relationship with God. And what that reminds us that Christianity is not primor primarily about our orientation to our behavior. It is about primarily our orientation to ourselves. And what Jesus says is, if you want to live, you have to die. So you don't, I'm not calling you necessarily just to, to perform at a certain level. I'm actually calling you 
to give of yourself, to, to let go of yourself. And what that means, and the hardest part about this is, that means that our former self is, is we don't get to have the say in our lives anymore. No matter what we're talking about, whether um, we're talking about our relationships or our finances, Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to know me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. Or, or some of you know those words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Whenever God calls a man, he, come, he, tells him, he calls him to come, bids him to come and die. It's an end of ourselves. Again, not an orientation towards our performance, but towards our very selves. It's our whole being. That's the first group of us. Um, others of us, we grew up in Christian homes, and, and we might even be able to remember that experience of ourselves when we would say we were born again. Um, we might be able to look back again to that time at a Christian camp or a time that we were encouraged to pray a prayer by a mentor or, or someone else. But oddly enough, we're starting to live the same way. And, and even though we know um, that we've come into this relationship with Jesus by putting our faith in him, we're, we're still living in the sense of having to earn his love, and that's by Christian activities. That's by going to church enough, reading the Bible enough, um, being a Christian community. Don't want to hear me wrong. I'm a pastor. Again, I hope that we do those things. But that can be equally problematic. It can be equally problematic when we look back and we can identify this time when we know we began to walk with Jesus, but yet we, we slowly, again and again, ease into the, this way of life, of, of uh, performance, and of thinking that we have to prove something. I want to encourage you this morning, that is not the case. As we've said before, Jesus is calling us primarily to a relationship. A relationship with himself. And finally, uh, and this is probably the one that's most applicable to us as a group here, and I know it would apply to myself. There are those of us who look at the idea of being born again, and we think of it as being primarily as something that happened in the past, but whose consequences don't continue to shape our lives today. Let me explain what I mean. There's a way for us as Christians to look at being born again in a way that identifies Christianity mainly as an event that happened solely some long time ago, but without shaping the way I go about my everyday life. And I want to try to give an illustration to explain this. And it's not perfect, but I think it can help. So some of you know, I've, I've shared before, that uh, I became a pastor at the encouragement of a guy that used to serve over at the school of uh, Cathedral Church of the Advent. And I met him in Charlottesville uh, maybe 15 years ago. Now, Paul mentored me in college. This is Paul Walker. He said, Brian, I really believe that you should become a priest. And he was the reason I applied to seminary. And so at that moment, I really believed that Paul, I mean, this was God doing it through Paul, but Paul changed the course of my life. It went a different direction that it was going to go before Paul had said that to me. Now, as I look back at that experience and I think about everyday life today, would I say that my experience with Paul changed who I am as a person in an ongoing basis? And the answer is no. Okay, yes, it's maybe in some ways in the fact that I'm, I'm now a priest, but I don't wake up differently any day because of what Paul said to me. And I, I still, again, believe that um, 
if I hadn't become a priest, I, would, I could have easily been a teacher or maybe a, a doctor or something else. It, it was an important thing. It, it changed the direction, but it didn't change me. And if we're not careful, we have the ability as, as Christians to, to have this orientation to our faith where because we've been born again, born again, we believe that the outcome of our life has changed, that we get to live with God now, but in the end, we haven't changed. Again, the outcome has changed, but we haven't changed. And here's the problem with that, according to Jesus in this passage, in which we see him interacting with Nicodemus. There's no such thing as a born-again life, he says, that's not fundamentally changed. You cannot be born again and still live the same way. And, and so what that means is that now, as, as followers of Jesus, we have a completely different orientation, again, to, to our, how we handle our finances, to our relationships, to the poor, to the people that really get on our nerves, that are in our lives, that are hard to love, to our enemies, forgiving other people. All these things are now on the table. And, and we, we, if we are ever at the point where we can look back and say, well, I, I experienced that, but I am unwilling to change, it makes us have to look really far deep on the inside and ask God, just what is it that you've done? And what is it that you're now calling me to do differently as you ask me to follow you? And so as we continue in the weeks to come, I just want to say, um, if you're visiting here for the first time, it, you may again be someone like that was my, like myself that grew up in the church. And I said last week, the people that talked about Jesus, I thought were freaks. I thought they were really weird. And yet someone introduced me to him in a way that changed my life. And then that's you. We want you to know you're welcome to be here. In fact, um, come forward, receive from the table today. Um, actually, I was going to say, come forward and receive prayer today. We are going to prayer stations in the corners. Please share that with someone. Have someone pray for you. Or, or if you'd like to learn more about him, come, come talk to one of us as leaders. Talk to clergy. Talk to um, members of our vestry, other staff. Okay, others of us, we have, we have a relationship with Jesus. We've been walking with him for some time, and yet there are areas of our lives that we refuse to give over to him, whether that be how we spend our leisure time, um, whether that be... Uh, how we plan to handle our uh, retirement, whether, again, how we spend our money. I mean, there are so many different ways that this could be applied. As you do, if you do come forward to the table, uh, I encourage you to ask, God, what might that be for me? Are there any areas, if I've begun walking with you, that you would like to identify in my own heart and in my own life? And let's pray that he might do that for all of us. In Jesus' name. Let me pray. Father, we praise you for the clarity that you give us through this person, this interaction with Nicodemus. And Lord, I, I pray uh, and I give you great thanks that it is as simple as believing in your son and that you have given us new hearts for when we have followed you and made us completely new people. Please, Lord, for any of us that are following you and seeking to learn more about what this looks like, would, would you through your Holy Spirit identify or the areas of our lives that you're continuing to desire to look fully new. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.